Well, hello, and welcome to Up Your Game. I'm Travis Harrison. Joined alongside of me is my co-host, Caleb Rader, and we've got guest star appearance in the house tonight, Josh Goff. How you doing tonight, guys? Doing well, doing well. Um, happy New Year, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. How you doing tonight, Caleb? I'm doing well. Obviously, it's a brand new year, and could be better as a Michigan fan, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah, and that's what we're going we're gonna to tackle tonight. So, yeah, we got done watching those two games today. You know, a lot of hype around both games, you know, being the college football playoff, but unfortunately did not live up to the hype. Uh, we can just touch on the Alabama-Cincinnati game real quick because, honestly, there's not a whole lot to say about that game. I know there was even some controversy going into that game. Should Cincinnati even be in the playoff? But, I mean, I do believe they earned their spot, you know, undefeated season. They won their, you know, their championship for their conference. So it was hard not to put them in there, especially with any of the other teams behind them had one or two losses. But, again, that whole Power 5 conference, you know, debate, do they play a tough enough schedule? Uh, what would you think about that, Caleb? I think how the game played out was exactly how everybody who saw it thought it was going to play out. You can debate about the Power 5 Conference, but the truth is the big dogs are big dogs for a reason. I thought the game was actually closer than, uh, or the game was actually closer than what I thought it was going to be. I thought uh, Alabama was going to run off the field, ended up only being about a 30-point spread. But that being said, I mean, Alabama completely owned that entire game. Josh, what about you? Yeah, I think it's maybe a case of they are who we thought they were. As far as the SEC goes, I thought Cincinnati's defense put up a good fight and kept it uh, interesting for the most part. They just didn't get any help from the other side of the ball. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was one thing that I noticed as well. I thought Cincinnati's defense played particularly well, especially all things considering, you know, playing against a high-powered scoring team like Alabama. But it was their offense that was just lacking any effort whatsoever. I mean, they couldn't move the ball at all. I mean, the first half they said a – a record for least amount of yards at 76 yards for the first half. I mean, not a record that you want to have, especially in the, the college football playoff. Definitely, especially if you're going to be a team from one of the smaller conferences and you want to come out and you want to make a statement on why you belong on the field with the big dogs. You come out and then you lay an egg like that, it's pretty tough to back up what you're saying. Yeah, it almost looked like there was one team out there that took three weeks off and the other team, Alabama, of course, was... Uh, Still getting after it. Yeah, I, I thought, um, you know, all these years we've had people out there complaining about the little guy and, oh, they should get in, you know, they deserve it. Well, I hope you guys are happy because you finally got your wish and we got what we all knew was going to happen and that was annihilation. So mm -hmm. hopefully now moving forward, that same group of people will be a little quieter, tr you know, trying to get their opinions across and wanting to get the little guy because they realize, hey, listen, we want the four best teams in the country in the college football playoff because, to me, that was just kind of a wasted game. Everybody knew Alabama was going to win. It was just a matter of time. And it was a bit of an off year, um, not having Clemson and Ohio State kind of right. at that level where they're typically at. You know, Cincinnati, even in the discussion at all, um, had those teams showed up more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the main event of the evening, Michigan versus Georgia. And this one, you know, I was really looking forward to. I thought it had a lot of promise to be a good competitive game, you know, just back and forth, you know, knockout punches from both teams. It ended up just being Georgia, you know, controlling the entire game. So what was your takeaway from it, Caleb? It's funny that you mentioned knockout punches because it feels like Georgia just punched and punched and punched all day and Michigan was just a punching bag. They did very little. Really, you could argue that 
as far as being from one of the big conferences, one of the Power Five conferences, the Big Ten, obviously, they played just like any other small school would play. And Georgia completely owned the game, both defensively and offensively, the entire time. Yeah, I thought Georgia just set the tone early on, line of scrimmage, and uh, didn't look back. Yeah, the Michigan offensive line that looked so good against Ohio State and looked so good in Iowa looked like a junior high team in playing Georgia tonight. That was one thing going into this game. I thought, you know, if Michigan, that front line, can block like they did against those two games and establish that run like they did. I mean, they did whatever they wanted to do against Ohio State. We all knew, everyone knew they were running the ball. Ohio State knew they were running the ball, and yet they couldn't stop them. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I expected more from tonight. And Georgia, with their big line there, they just they just ate them up. And I feel like on top of shutting the run down, they got so much pressure in on uh, McNamara there. He didn't have a whole lot of time. He had guys in his face all night long and you know threw a couple of picks, had the lost fumble. So he was running for his life most of the night. Yeah, I'm looking at the stats here. I mean, we had 37 dropbacks for passes. We had four sacks. That's way too many, especially if you're going to win – a big time game in the in the uh, final four in the playoffs and if you're going to make a statement like Michigan's trying to make hey we're back we're the Michigan of the 90s the Michigan of the 80s it just wasn't there tonight on the defensive side of the ball their offensive line as good as Hutchinson has been non-factor tonight Uh, I'm not sure if he even had a sack I'll have to go back and look but yeah I found the first half uh, Georgia was trying to just run away from him and his side but yeah, I feel, I feel like they did a really good job game-planning him out of the game. I'm um, looking at Hutchinson's stat line right now. He had four total tackles, no sacks, no hurries. Just not, not what you want to see out of somebody whose people are out there pounding on the carpet saying that he's a number one draft pick. Just not what you want. Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing you told me while we were watching the game, it just seemed like Michigan was a step or two behind every play. Like where they should have been there ready for a tackle, they weren't. Mm-hmm. Where they should have been there ready to knock the ball down, they weren't. Receivers were wide open. I feel like the majority of the game, anytime Georgia scored, uh, it was an open pass for a touchdown. It just seemed like the line was struggling and the secondary was struggling for, for Michigan. It's just all, all around defensively, just just not a good effort. I oh. go, ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think that that was clear tonight, but also I think – that SEC speed showed up too. Absolutely. That's what I was exactly what I was going to say. I was going to give a shout out to my wife. She tells me this all the time. She's an Alabama fan. And she's always telling me SEC speed, SEC speed. And you hear it from any kind of coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, strength hurts, speed kills. Mm. SEC has all the speed. You could see it a lot on the edge plays where, like, you were, like I told you earlier, the Michigan guys seem to be one step behind. They were always right there but not close enough to actually make a play. Yeah, and I think the, another big thing is was the turnovers, you know, and especially playing Killed against them. a good team like Georgia. Yes. You've got to take care of the football. And Michigan had three costly turnovers, and I feel like each time Michigan gained any momentum, they were driving down the field, looked like they're going to score a touchdown, throws a pick in the end zone. Right. You know, it you know had had a chance there yeah. to start the second half. You know, with some momentum, get a touchdown right away, interception. You know, it just it just seemed like each time they had any momentum at all, mm-hmm. they turned the ball over. It's hard because the one interception I want to talk about, obviously, I thought the officiating affected the play. But the other two turnovers, both the fumble and one of the interceptions, he throws the interception in the end zone from the 15-yard line. 
obviously a drive killer, total momentum bust. The other one, the fumble, inside their uh, Georgia's 30. These are both scoring opportunities, 14-point swing. But if they Georgia gets the ball back and scores off them, now we're talking up to a 28-point swing. So, I mean, those are opportunities. If you want a chance to win a national title, you got to capitalize on those, and you can't throw those costly interceptions. Yeah, I thought the starting quarterback from Michigan was out of it mentally by halftime, certainly, if not before. I um, would have liked to have seen uh, Harbaugh maybe give number nine a chance early in the second half and let him finish some drives instead mm-hmm. of that back and forth switching out. Yeah, I felt like he could have went to McCarthy a lot more, towards, especially towards the end of the third. You could see that McNamara, like he'd make bad throws, his hands would be on his helmet. He was clearly... Maybe not totally out of it emotionally, but his emotions had definitely taken over and he wasn't making good decisions. Yeah, nonverbal body language. Yeah. Yeah, and then we've got here looking at the stats, uh, passing yards was uh, 331 for Georgia and only 237 for Michigan, so almost a 100-yard difference there. And then rushing 190 for Georgia and only 91 for Michigan. So, again, another just about 100 yards difference. So, you're talking 200 yards difference of offense. I mean, that's a big deal, especially in a game like this. Absolutely. I thought that the receiving core, especially uh, Cook, whose older brother's in the NFL now, plays for Minnesota, uh, had a great – his Cook had – his older brother, Cook, had a great game against Michigan a few years ago in a bowl game. He had a great game today, 112 yards receiving on just four catches. I mean, if you're going to let guys catch the ball like that, well, you're going to get to enjoy watching the national championship eating popcorn. That's just the way it is. Mm. Looks like it runs in the family, huh? Yeah. Well, you brought we were talking about the turnovers just a minute ago, and you you briefly mentioned the one interception. Let's touch on that one there in the second half. And again, Michigan trying to build a little momentum there. Mm-hmm. Possibly could have driven down, you know, scored a touchdown, and probably one of the most blatant non calls you'll ever see when it comes to an interception. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I've been watching football. I'm 33 years old. I've been watching it since as long as I can remember. My dad was a head football coach at the high school level for 20 years. I've done a few little stints. My brother coaches a local high school team. Absolutely the most blatant non-call I've ever seen. He not only held him, hit him in the face mask, and pushed him out of bounds, but then pushed off, stepped out of bounds, and got the interception. It was reviewed and still upheld as an interception. And I just don't understand what exactly they're looking at. I'm worried that we're so worried about the leading with the helmet, which is an important issue, don't get me wrong, but we lose some of the integrity of the game. Yeah, I think the the refs were so focused on that after checking out the review that we missed what was right in front of us the whole time with the pass interference there on Georgia. And it's funny because, although I'm complaining right now because it's in Michigan's favor, I'm a Michigan fan, the same ref missed another non-call just in the series before on the Michigan guy where I thought he interfered with him. And he called the ball uncatchable, but the ball landed in bounds in the end zone. And I thought if the receiver hadn't been getting held from, well, as soon as the ball was snapped, he probably would have had a chance at that ball. But they decided that was non-catchable, let it go. So the same official makes two non-calls within three or four series that could have greatly changed the game. Well, the interception for sure greatly changed it. Gave Georgia the ball back while we were driving. They scored a touchdown, I think, four plays later. Yeah, definitely a big momentum swing there for sure. So now looking forward, Georgia and Alabama, we get a rematch of the SEC championship, which honestly, surprise, I was not surprise. Yeah, I was Gone. not looking forward to, though. 
But, and, uh, you know, yeah. first time around, you know, Alabama, you know, took care of business, and I kind of see that's probably going to be the case again. But, you know, the way Georgia played tonight, I mean, if they come out the way they did tonight and play in, on the 10th against Alabama, I mean, anything can happen. And, I mean, I'd like their chances. I do, too. Uh, I wouldn't bet against Saban, that's for sure. Absolutely. Obviously, you never bet against Saban. He's one of the – well, he is the greatest probably all time, other than maybe the Bear back in the day. But even that, I mean, one of the things you can say about playing for Alabama right now is you're at least going to get a shot at a national championship. Every recruit Saban has had since he started at Alabama has played at least one national championship. I've, I I don't know if that's uh, – that's unheard of across the board, all sports. It's just impressive. Yeah, it's part of the Bama factory down there. Absolutely. And to have that in your back pocket as a recruiting tool, like, hey, you want to come play for me? You're basically guaranteed a national championship. You stick around for all four years. You know, we'll get you there, and we're probably going to win at least one. So, Absolutely. I mean, how do, you, how do you not? I mean, it's probably a big reason why he's got the top recruiting class year after year. I mean, Alabama is a football mecca. Consistency. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. They produce football players at every position, it seems like. Especially now that you got Mac Jones playing quarterback over there with the Patriots. He seems to be doing well. At, for a long time, it was, oh, they can make running backs, they can make linemen, but they can't make mm. quarterbacks. Well, that's not true anymore. Yeah, and I thought it was an interesting stat there at the end of the game, you know, them showing the assisting coaches who have gone up against Nick Saban are 0-4. So now yeah, you've got Kirby Smart <laughs> going up there. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he knows about that statistic and would love to uh, change the narrative on that a little bit. I don't know Saban personally, but I imagine if he's like I think he is, he probably reminds him of that statistic as well when they talk every once in a while. Like I'm looking back now at the Georgia-Alabama game from a month ago in the SEC championship game, and it was statistically Alabama dominated both in passing and in rush. Not really not rushing Rushing yards, they only had 55 yards. Alabama kept them, or Georgia kept Alabama, sorry. Pretty much wrapped up as far as that goes. So it'll be curious to see. I noticed the turnovers in that game were a big factor. Bennett had two interceptions. There was a fumble as well. So I don't know. I feel like it could be a good game, but I also feel like we could see the Alabama-LSU game from a few years back where we see five field goals, and it's boring football for the average fan. A football fan, avid football fan, loves those kind of games. They love watching defense get to play, mm-hmm. the strategy of the back and forth. That's one of the things that makes football great is the strategy of the game. But I don't know. Personally, I'm not an SEC fan, so I'm not happy that <laughs> Alabama and Georgia both got in. But obviously the best teams won. So uh, it'll be exciting to watch nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I just hate that it's like a week and a half away. I don't know why, why they do that. They mm-hmm. always, you know kind of drag it out, make us wait, you know, extra long. But I, I think it'll be worth the wait. So Absolutely. Uh, it kind of gets us into a different topic, which will have to have its own podcast all by itself, the expansion of the playoff system and how it would benefit football. But, yeah, I don't like that we have to wait so long to watch another football game. And the sad thing is that after that, then we have to wait even longer. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's good for the players either, having that three-week layoff from – Playing every week and practicing, breaking that routine, and then now you're getting live action almost a month later. Right. Yeah, and you see a lot of uh, rust. A lot of injuries happen from not playing at game speed because, like I was saying earlier to you guys, it doesn't matter how many snaps you do in practice. There's no rep like a game rep. You can't replicate it. You don't get the same intensity. 
So it's a little frustrating that they wait so long between the last game of the season and the first game of the playoffs when we could easily fill those weeks with more rounds of playoffs. Mm -hmm. Now we might end up with the same four teams at the end, which is just fine. But I think that we limit the opportunity for the (laughs) Cinderella team to have an opportunity to play in those games. Yeah, definitely. I mean... Because, you know, if there was more teams, you know, and Cincinnati happens to beat a couple of teams to get there, you know, hey, fine. They, you know, they they earned it. Mm-hmm. But it's hard when, you know, you look at strength of schedules, you know, Cincinnati obviously playing in a weaker conference yeah. isn't going to play the same competition that Alabama, Georgia are playing in the SEC or Ohio State, Michigan are playing in the Big Ten. But yet here they are undefeated. And it's like, well, why are they undefeated? Right. And that was one of the things I was speaking with some people that I know. The amount of ranked teams that each team has played, it's like if you look through them, it's just not the same. I'm sorry. I understand the people that are in the smaller conferences. They want their team to get a shot, but I don't care if you win the, mid, win the Mid-American Conference if you got to go play against the SEC. Like it's not the same level of competition. It's not the same quality of football. So you're not going to get as good a product, no matter how what your record shows. And history's told us that. Absolutely. Teams. The Central Floridas, the random year of Hawaii. Boise State. Boise State. Baylor, yep. TCU. Yeah. Like, These teams, they look good because they're playing teams that are so underdeveloped as far as their skill levels. And then they come against an Alabama or a Georgia or a Michigan or Ohio State, whoever. They play one of these bigger schools that play much harder competition week in, week out. And they end up getting run off the field. Mm-hmm. You get, mm-hmm. And now that I've said that, I understand a lot of people are going to say, well, look at Michigan. Michigan looked like a, a non-Power 5 conference. I Granted, they did. Now imagine if somebody from one of the smaller conferences had come in, somebody that Michigan had beat up on, Western Michigan shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be even worse after Western, like Western Michigan playing Alabama. So Yeah, that game would have been 59 and nothing. Absolutely. Anything else you got, guys, Caleb, Josh? Uh, it's, it's good overall, but I don't think we need to have a scenario where we have to talk about what ifs. Let's just expand. Let's get the teams in and let's play it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think another thing that'll be an interesting conversation over the next couple of weeks is the future of Jim Harbaugh. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I like Jim. It's nice. Wins nine games. That's mm-hmm. great. Win 10 games. That's great. We're still not playing for a national championship. We still lost to Michigan state this year. Now I will say Bray point is we beat. Ohio State, yeah. which is something we haven't done. He finally did that. Yeah. Since I was in my early 20s. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we beat Ohio State. That's nice. Is that enough for him to keep his job? Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds crazy coming off a season where we're playing for a national championship. We're one of the final four. Technically, we're ranked number two. And really, we should have probably been ranked number four after watching the Georgia-Michigan game. I don't know. It's, it's one of those questions that the sports boosters and them at the – University are going to have to sit down and think about. I'm sure he'll get another chance because they beat Ohio State this year, but it's one of those things that in the future I don't think will be enough to mm-hmm. save his job. Mediocrity, even at 12-3, and three, I think is what they are now, 12-2, and two, it's not enough to get to the game. Mm-hmm. you got to win. I mean, he's been there, what, six, seven years now? I believe six, yeah. Six years, and so and just you know finally beat Ohio State, still hasn't beat Michigan State. Right. And so, yeah, those those are the games that – people care about you know and those are the ones they remember absolutely you remember the blocked punt and the michigan fan standing there crying with his hands on his head Mm -hmm. because of how ridiculous that situation was and how that shouldn't have happened absolutely could have been avoided 
I think personally a bad coaching call. You lose the game because of it. Just like that. Absolutely. Michigan. Everybody talks about Michigan State losing to Ohio State right after playing Michigan. Mm. Nobody wants to talk about that. They're missing two offensive linemen and their best wide receiver. <laughs> My wife wants us to know why Bama's producing championships and not the Big Ten. Uh, pretty simple. Saban. There must be Saban. something in the water down there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I think it is it is Nick Saban. And it's interesting because, and Josh and I were talking about this the other day, you know, he is a phenomenal college coach, mm-hmm. goes to the NFL, gives that a try, doesn't work out at all, comes back to college, and now has even more success than he did before. So, Absolutely. I mean, some of those guys, you know, they're just born and bred for the college game, and they just understand those players so well. I mean, I look at Urban Meyer. You know, he everywhere he went, yes. he built the program up, you know, won a couple national championships at Florida with Tebow and then went to Ohio State, won a national championship there, then walked away from the game for a little bit for health reasons and then decided, hey, I'm going to go to the NFL, gave that a try and, you know, failed miserably this year on the field and off the field, more so off the field. But I feel like for a lot of these college coaches, they shouldn't try to coach in the NFL because they're great at what they do in the college game and they should just stick to that. Now, Jim Harbaugh, I feel like is an exception. And Josh and I touched on that. You know, he went to the 49ers, made it to a Super Bowl, almost pulled it out against his brother and the Ravens. So he's, I feel like one of those lone few exceptions that, okay, he could cross over and do well. You know, he made Kaepernick look good, you know, for a couple Mm -hmm. of years there, but then obviously coming back to college. And I still feel like that's where his, you know, niche is at, but Unfortunately for him, it just hasn't panned out as well, I think, as they were hoping, you know, especially as a Michigan alumni coming back to his alma mater and just not having the success against the big schools like Ohio State and Michigan State like they were hoping he would. I think one of the hard things for Harbaugh is where he went, the University of Michigan. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he coached Stanford right before he went to the 49ers. He did, Did yeah. really well with Andrew, Andrew Luck. Luck. Yep. Bounces up to the NFL level, does really good, builds a good program, decides to come back to the college ranks. The problem with coming to Michigan is a man from the 70s. His name's Bo Schembechler. <laughs> he built this just mystical aura of Michigan football and what it should be and what it should be and mm-hmm. how it should be represented. And so to try to live up to that Bo Schembechler level is very difficult for any coach. Uh-huh. Oh, and then right after him, you got Lloyd Carr, national championship, got Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Like, so these are great college coaches, very hard to follow after. We've had a whole string of them at Michigan where they just haven't worked out. It's funny we talk about coaches going back and forth. I mean, look at Pete Carroll. He tried. Mm-hmm. He was at USC for a long time, super successful. Tried going to the NFL once before. It was complete washout. Now he's over in Seattle. Fantastic team. And it's been that way for a long time. Bill, all the way back to Bill Walsh, uh, tried going to the college ranks, terrible, went to the NFL, really good. It's funny that coaches like the players seems to struggle to go back and forth between college and pros and how the game is so vastly similar Mm -hmm. and vastly different at the same time. Yeah, I would say Jimmy Johnson was the one exception of the rule. Had success at both levels. Absolutely. Super Bowls. Yeah, you find find your niche, find your groove, and just stick with it. And, yeah, you've got the few that, that can do both. But, yeah, the players, yeah, are so different. Because I feel like that was kind of a big thing that kind of took Urban Meyer down is that all the different things that he did at, for the college players and how he treated them and interacted with them, he tried to carry those things over to the pros, and it just did not work out. I think he forgot that there's a difference between an 18-year-old yes, who plays 
because he might have a future in the NFL, and a 26-year-old who is playing to put food on his table for his child. And who's already been in the league for a and few he, years. He already understands the system. Yeah, he knows been the, the game, league. all of that. Um, I don't think his interaction with them as adults went over well. And it just didn't. Just a lack of respect is what it Absolutely. seems like. Yeah. He was trying to treat them like college kids. It wasn't right. in computing his mind, in his mind. Still 18 year olds. And they're like, no, we're 30. Yeah. No, we're we not going to put up with three days. Like, <laughs> we're not going to listen to you. Yeah, no. Absolutely. It's Can't not going to work. Kicking the kicker. Uh, yeah, you just yeah. don't kick people. <laughs> like, uh, there's so many situations that happen that with Urban Meyer, like, I just don't understand, like, what was going on in his brain. Like, you just don't kick kids. Yeah. You don't do that. You don't leave your team and not fly back on, on the plane with them. Like, you don't do those things. You're a professional now. People are looking to you. So if, I don't know if you've been doing those things all along, all the way back to Florida. You just get away with that kind of stuff because you're such a big celebrity. Nobody cares. You're bringing in national championships. Right. People look the other way. Nobody cares. You're making them millions yeah. of dollars. Yeah. So that's a good question. I mean, if the Jaguars were actually winning games and being successful, right. ownership's probably going to look the other way True. on that. But because they're losing game after game, it's like, all right, you know what? We're not going to put up with you anymore. And all you your draft antics. Trevor Lawrence, he comes in, throws 45 touchdowns. Are we still having this conversation? <laughs> no. Probably no. not. One of my questions is, okay, so going back to the Michigan, what's wrong with Michigan and Harbaugh, why do you think it is that Nick Saban is able to bring in all these five-star recruits, four-star recruits? seems like at every position, and Harbaugh just can't get the pieces to fall together recruitment-wise. That's a good question. I mean, I think a big part of it has to do with Nick Saban's past success because, I mean, I don't feel like he just – got them you know I mean when he first got there and everything his first season they were six and six you know it took him a little while to to build it up you know they were getting beat by Florida and and all of that and so I think it it took him a little while but I think people saw what he was trying to do and then as the more he started being successful then of course he's going to gain you know these players that want to come there and see Absolutely. you know the winning ways of Alabama and oh my word they're playing for a national championship almost every year like why would I not want to go there and it just seems like with their team they've got these guys that are NFL ready especially the linemen mm-hmm. I Do mean you think name our uh, Saban is such a good salesman like okay so you're you're an 18 year old kid you're sitting in your living room you hear a knock on the door Nick Saban comes in and talk to you next night Jim Harbaugh comes in and talk to you like, what do you think it is that draws them outside? Is there something outside of football you think that draws them to Alabama over Michigan? Or do you think it's just the Saban effect? I would say mostly the Saban effect, but at the same time, I mean, some kids, I mean, if I was 18, I mean, I'd probably want to stay in the South and where it's a little warmer, you know, and Alabama w- would be that destination versus, you know, mm-hmm. going up in Michigan and freezing to death. So I think at that time in my life, especially if I was, you know, already from the South, um, yeah, I'd probably true. want to go ahead and stay down there and stay yeah. where I'm familiar versus going up north. I don't even know anything about the north. Or right. Especially a lot of these kids probably the have snow. never even been in the snow or been Absolutely. on a plane. Like, Yeah, definitely. I feel like probably a comfortability has a lot to do with it. That was one of the things that made me laugh about, oh, what quarterback was that just recently? Josh Allen, I believe, talked about going to play at the Patriots. Mm. Oh, no, it was Mac Jones. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> who it was. It was Mac Jones being from Alabama. He's sitting outside getting ready for one of the Patriot games. I think it was two weeks ago, and it was snowing. Mm-hmm. And literally posted on social media about how that's the first time he's seen snow. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, yeah. Uh, son, you play for Boston now. You better yeah. prepare. Or get ready, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, well, it's funny you mentioned the layers of players for Alabama and how it seems like he's got, whereas Michigan is like one player deep talent-wise, Alabama seems to be four or five deep. Georgia seems to be really deep as well. The game tonight with Michigan versus Georgia, it looked like a young Michigan team versus a well-seasoned Georgia team. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Definitely, yeah. It looked like Michigan's uh, first dance, if you will. Yeah. Um, Kind of had big eyes as the game was going on, watching the speed take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked like Georgia had been there before and felt comfortable, and this was Michigan's first time, and they were just kind of deer in the headlights a little bit, like, oh, my word, and the moment obviously seemed a little too big for him. And Jim made the comment right before the game started about taking it up to the next step, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Next step, next level. Um, and I think they got the reality check of what the next level would be, like, Beating Ohio State was a huge accomplishment, but playoffs. It yeah. wasn't that long ago Ohio State was getting waxed in the Final Four as oh, well. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny you say that because you're right. Like, that next step is it's not really a step. It's a jump. It's a long ways to go from, yeah, we're good in the Big Ten or, yeah, we're good in the Midwest to, yeah, we're good nationally. Mm-hmm. Totally different ball game. I feel like. Well, I would just uh, add to that by saying even more so Michigan's secondary, I think, got a reality check tonight. You might get a a chance going against Michigan State or Ohio State as far as the (laughs) speed goes, but it's still just another level, SEC. Yeah, I thought Cook killed the secondary there. I I mean, they they couldn't guard him. No. I mean, he was just burning them. I mean, when you have four catches for 112 yards – I yeah. mean, that means nobody's guarding you. He's You're running around wide open. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely will be. Yep. And I'm excited. His other brother plays on Alabama. So oh, really? yeah. to see the two of them going at it, I mean, obviously they're not playing, you know, at the same time, but just to see which brother, you know, ends up with more yards, more catches, more yeah. touchdowns, you know, bra- bragging rights, who's going to win the national championship. I'm sure that'll be a talk at the dinner table, you know, discussion. Oh, you know. <laughs> oh look, let me, let me see my ring. Thanksgiving, you know, ring. Christmas for, you know, the rest of their yeah. lives. <laughs> Get out that national championship ring and just sit there, look at your brother and smile and from there across the table. Very few things in life. As satisfying as have bragging rights over one of your brothers. Oh, absolutely. And when you invo- involve a ring full of diamonds, <laughs> that just makes it so much better. It's one thing to talk about. It's another thing for him to have to stare at something that, Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, this has been good, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, listening to the first pilot episode of Up Your Game. Again, I'm Travis Harrison, joined alongside Caleb Rader and Josh Goff. Thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time.